you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Almighty God, God, we thank you for songs like this, God, songs that speak right from Scripture. God, of heavenly visions of you, God, eyes like fire and face like the sun and a voice that that thunders, God. And God, we look forward to the day where we will audibly hear your voice thunder. To hear your voice say things like, I am making all things new and things like, behold, the dwelling place of God is among men and things like well done good and faithful servant God we look forward we know we believe by faith that we will see your face and that we will hear your voice and God I pray that although we may not hear your audible voice today I pray that we would hear you speak today God through your inspired living and active word, God. I pray that you would speak as your word is read. I pray that you would speak through your servant as I yield to your spirit, God, and humble myself before you. And God, I pray that we would hear you speak. So God, I pray that you would say what you want said today to build up and to challenge and to encourage your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. The ushers are coming up and down the aisle for people who need a copy of God's Word. Just put your hand up or holler at them. We're continuing in our series called Following Him, which is taking a close look at everything Jesus had to say about discipleship and defining what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We started with the call where Jesus comes to us where we are and then invites us to come and follow him. And then immediately we, we talked about the cross and how as we're following Jesus, we're going to go where Jesus went and Jesus went to die for our sins. And so we are called to take up our cross and to follow him and to die to ourselves. Then we talked about the curriculum. Jesus said a, a true disciple is someone who abides in his Word And then last week, the commission that in being a disciple, Jesus tells us that we also need to be involved in making disciples. Now, our discussion about disciple making would be incomplete if we only talked about Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where Jesus said, go and make disciples. Because Matthew 28, as encouraging and as challenging as it is doesn't prepare us for the fact that people are going to react to the invitation to become a disciple in different ways. If you simply just read Matthew 28, you might think that everyone's going to be like, yes, yes, I'll follow Jesus. Let's go. Of course I want this. This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. And that's what we hope happens. But that's not always what happens. And so today we're going to be talking about the conflict of discipleship. Not everyone, as they see us going off to follow Jesus, not everyone's going to be cheering for us. And there are going to be some people who are going to come in our path who we're going to invite to come along, and they're not just going to say no, they're going to say a lot more than just no. 
And Jesus wants us to be aware of the conflict that is coming for people who choose to follow him. Now, we we need to understand that we're Canadian here. And Canadians do not like conflict. Whether you were born here or, or have moved here recently, you need to understand that about our culture. Conflict, no thanks. And so it's passages like this that are really challenging to our cultural uh, sensibilities. But in this passage, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. If you look at chapter 10, verse 1, it says, He called to him the twelve disciples. So these are the twelve, that they were later called the apostles. And there, anyone who followed Jesus was considered a disciple, but there was the twelve disciples, this specific group of disciples. And then in verse 5, it says that these 12 disciples Jesus sent out, instructing them, go now, here, go now here among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. I'm oh, sorry, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Like, that didn't sound right. Okay. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go after the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus, he's sending them on a short-term missions trip. And he's telling them, don't go into any of the Gentile cities, any of the cities that are filled with people who aren't Jewish. Don't go to the Samaritan cities. Those are people who are kind of half Jewish. He says, just go to cities that are filled with Jewish people, the lost sheep of Israel. He's sending them on a very specific short-term missions trip. But what he's going to say to them is going to go beyond this short trip. In fact, it's going to go all the way. In verse 23, he's going to talk about the return of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man. He's going to lay down some principles for the way disciples should deal with conflict that not only affected the disciples then on the short trip that they were going on, but for you and me as we strive to make disciples of all nations. Now, to help his disciples understand and remember what he was saying, he uses four word pictures Four word pictures, and those are going to form the, the four points for the, for the message. Take a look at verse 16 now. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You can jot this down. There's the first image. This is the first point. Jesus talks about sheep among wolves to teach us about persecution. Sheep among wolves to teach us about persecution. And... Uh, Hockey season has uh, just begun uh, here in this, uh, the greater Toronto area. And uh, hockey's sort of funny, you know, the, the, the way they name their teams. I mean, the Ottawa Senators. I mean, what, ch- what, what chance would a group of politicians have going up against the Nashville Predators? Or the Pittsburgh Penguins? What's a penguin going to do? Well, a whole lot if their only opponent is just a pile of maple leaves. It's funny on two levels. But Jesus here, he says, okay, okay, we're dividing the teams. One team is called the wolves. And the other team is called the sheep. And Jesus says, my team is called the sheep. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Then he gives them the game plan. Here's the strategy. He says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. To be wise as a serpent. 
Uh, this, all throughout uh, the Bible, serpent is, is, is described sort of in a, a negative sense. This is one of the only, only times in the, in the Bible where the serpent is described uh, positively. See, in many parts of the Near East, the, the serpent was the symbol of wisdom. The Egyptian pharaohs had a, had a serpent on their, on their crown. It, it, was, it showed shrewdness and, and, and tactfulness and wisdom and prudence. And Jesus says, you need to be as wise as a serpent. You see, serpents don't go looking for fights. Some of us, when we hear about conflict, we're like, bring it on, man. I love a good argument. Jesus is like, don't be like that. A snake, listen, you could be walking through the woods and you could walk by 10 snakes and never know it. People step on snakes accidentally. Why? Because, because snakes, they just, they hide. And they only come out and show themselves when the opportunity is right. And Jesus lovingly tells us, be as wise as a serpent. A serpent is camouflaged. A serpent is close to the ground. And Jesus says part of being a disciple means that you need to become like a snake. Silently moving, doing your own thing, not creating unnecessary conflict. Jesus is going to tell us, listen, conflict is going to come. You don't need to go looking for it. But then he balances that by saying, as innocent as a dove. Dove is bright white. It's not very cam camouflaged. Doves can't help but making that cooing sound. You, you, you know when there's a dove nearby. And so Jesus isn't saying that to be wise as a serpent, only as a serpent. He says, no, it's this balance. It's this tension that to follow Jesus, there is this wisdom like a serpent to blend in and to be careful and cautious, but also to be as innocent as a dove. Jesus is saying, be careful, watch out, but never compromise your message in order to protect yourself. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. So in verse 16 he says to be wise, to be innocent, and then verse 17 he says to beware. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. Again, this is something that never happened during the short-term missions trip that Jesus was sending these guys on. He's talking about something beyond. This is something that happened after Jesus died and was buried and rose again. The disciples were always being dragged into the synagogue. Even the apostle Paul, before he was converted, he, he even explains in Acts 22, he says, he says that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And so this is something that was going to come after. It was going to be religious Persecution. Some of us have experienced persecution on religious grounds. Uh, people disagree with our theology or with what we believe about God. Or you grew up in a culture where the majority of people believed in a different religion from you and you experienced persecution. There is a religious way of being a persecuted, but that's not the only way. In the next verse, verse 18, he says, And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. And this is how it happened in the book of Acts. They were originally dragged into synagogues and beaten, but that didn't change their message. They wouldn't give in. And so eventually it got political. And so governors, kings, emperors started to get involved in dealing with the Christians. But Jesus puts a positive slant on it. At the end of verse 18, he says, 
to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. The New Testament church was given opportunities to share their faith with people they never would have had the opportunity to share with unless they had been persecuted. At, at the end of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's meeting with Festus, with Felix. He eventually appeals to Rome to have a meeting with Caesar. He can't just knock on the door and meet with these people. It was persecution that gave him the opportunity to bear witness to these people of significant influence. It's all part of God's plan. One time Paul got arrested and he's, he's writing a, a letter to the church at Philippi and he says, hey, the whole imperial guard has now heard about Jesus because I've been persecuted. And when people oppose us for our faith, God so often uses that as an opportunity for us to bear witness to people we would never normally have the opportunity to speak with. Then he encourages them in verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Verse 20, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Jesus says, don't worry what you're going to say. And those situations where you're dragged before a, a leader, where there's a, a, a threat of imprisonment or beating or death, Jesus said, I will give you the words to say. Now, this is a verse that's so often used as an excuse for not preparing faithfully. And whether you're uh, speaking in front of hundreds of people or whether you're leading a group of, of children in Sunday school or going to a small group Bible study, this is not your verse. We're called to rightly handle the word of truth, to be a, a faithful, faithful teacher of God's word. So he moves from the religious world, then to the political world, and then he gets really close to home in verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Because of religious affiliation, because of someone's particular political beliefs, they may end up turning over the Christian, betraying the Christian, betraying their own family member and having them turned over. And it says even to be put to death, Jesus is preparing his disciples to be ready to die for him. In verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Hated by all doesn't mean that every single person will hate us. We should all have non-Christian friends who we relate to or we agree to disagree with and there isn't any hatred or animosity or hostility. We may have family members who we agree to disagree with. We still have amicable relationships with. When he says you'll be hated by all, it doesn't mean that everyone who's not a Christian will hate every Christian. What he's saying is all kinds of people People are opposed to Jesus and to Christianity for all kinds of reasons. Political reasons, religious reasons, philosophical reasons, moral reasons, all kinds of reasons. And Jesus just says, listen, it's not just one specific group who are going to make up the wolves. It is going to come from all angles. And then he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Then he gets practical in verse 23. When they persecute you in one town... Flee to the next. 
Jesus says, don't be reckless with your life or with your family. This is part of being wise as serpents. If you're being persecuted, flee to the next. Again, this was all throughout the book of Acts. And this is, this is really how the gospel started to spread in Acts chapter 8. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now Jesus, at the beginning of the book of Acts, said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now look at the words here. There was a persecution in Jerusalem. What is it that actually had them fulfill what Jesus commanded? It was persecution that pushed them into Judea and Samaria and eventually the ends of the earth. It's all part of God's, all part of God's plan. Persecution is, is something that Jesus warned about and, and explained that this is his purpose. And then he says, For truly I say to you, you will not... You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. He says, this is the way it's going to be until he returns. And so this is how it was for the disciples. This is how it, how it is for many people around the world. This is how it is for us in our way, in our culture, still facing persecution, although very different from at other times and in other places of the world. Then Jesus says, well, really, what else would you expect? Verse 24, a disciple's not above his master, above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is a, a term for Satan, back in chapter 9, verse 34, they were just having a conversation with the Pharisees, and they said, the reason why you can heal people is because you have the power of Satan. And so Jesus says, if they called me Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? And so Jesus is saying, listen, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you end up getting persecuted. In John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. A servant is not greater than his master. Same as what it says here in Matthew 10. If they persecuted me, They will also persecute you. A servant is not greater than his master. Now look back at Matthew 10, verse 26. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. This is what we need to understand. The more you are like Jesus, the more likely you are to get persecuted. And here's the other side of it. The more you are persecuted, the more likely you are to become like Jesus. We're familiar with this, with this verse in Romans 8. We love to uh, quote this verse. And we know for, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Even persecution. For those who are called according to his purpose. What is his purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's purpose for us is that we would become like Jesus. One of the ways that God causes us to become like Jesus, one of the all things of Romans 8, is persecution. It's all part of God's good plan for us. That's why Jesus warns his disciples long ahead of time and warns us to be ready for it. But here's the the thing. 
Knowing about something in advance is sometimes helpful, but it doesn't make it any easier. And that's why Jesus, he addresses the, it's almost as though he could sense in his disciples and knows the human heart so well that hearing this, fear is going to start welling up inside of us. That's why in verse 26 he says, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what, you're, what you hear whispered, proclaim in the housetops. And do not fear those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So here's the second point that Jesus talks about a falling sparrow. To teach us about fear. He talks about a falling sparrow to teach us about fear. Now if you look at verse 26, he says, have no fear. Then in the middle of verse 28, he says, do not fear. Then in verse 31, he says, fear not. He's dealing with this issue of fear. He talks about fear three times and he gives three reasons why we shouldn't be afraid. The first reason is that God gets the last word. God gets the last word. Verse 26 says, For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. It may be that it seems like Christians are being persecuted. Some Christians are being put to death and it seems like the wolves are getting away with it. And God God is reminding us, no, that may be hidden right now, but that is going to come to light. There will be a vindication. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 says, The Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation of God. So God knows. It may seem like we're losing, but in the end we will win. It may seem like we're coming in last, but God says the last shall be first and the first shall be last. That there are some things that are hidden that are going to be revealed and there will be an ultimate vindication. So we aren't to be afraid because God gets the last word. We aren't to be afraid because God gets all our fear. So verse 27 he says, What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim in the house. He says, so don't be afraid, just say what I'm telling you. Don't say your own words, say what you're hearing from me. In verse 28, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of man brings a snare. It traps us. The book of Proverbs tells us that the the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we are to fear God and to live for him and not be afraid of other people and what they might do do to us. God doesn't want us to be afraid of people. He wants us to love people. And when we're so afraid of how people would react, we don't love them. We try to protect ourselves from them. But if we truly love them, we will warn them about this God that they should be afraid of but aren't. This God who holds power to bring judgment that will have an effect in all of eternity. Jesus says, soul and body in hell. 
That we're supposed to love people and warn them that there is this judgment that is coming and not be afraid of them. And then he wants us not to be afraid because he cares for us. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The flight trajectory of every single sparrow. Every single other species of every other bird. God God knows when they're in the air. He knows when they're perching. He knows when they're falling. He knows all of that. He's caring for sparrows that cost a few pennies. And then he says in verse 30, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. I find that verse mildly encouraging. Um, He's doing subtraction, not addition in my case. Verse, verse 31, fear not therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. How, how much more value? How, how many more sparrows are we worth? You can buy a couple of sparrows for a penny. That's what it costs to have sparrows. What did, what did it cost God? How valuable, how much more valuable are we? It cost Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross for us to purchase us. It's not just walk over to the market, flip some pennies in someone's hand, and walk away with a couple of sparrows. It's the Son of God becoming one of us, living among us, dying as a substitute for our sins, so that when we place our faith in him, we can be purchased Our souls are of so much value and that's what Jesus wants to communicate. And maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you're worth anything. Listen, you are. Jesus died for you and you can know the value that you have in placing your faith in him today. And you may be here today and maybe you've placed your faith in him already and yet you still feel like there's people in your life who are always putting you down and saying you're worth nothing and saying that you're crazy for believing what you believe. Well, you need to remember that when those sarcastic remarks come, when the belittling glances come, when the antagonistic questions, when the angry outbursts come, you need to know that you may not be valuable to everyone, but you are valuable to God. And just because people around you don't know how to treat a human being, you need to understand that God knows how to treat you. And God loves you and died for you. And then Jesus sums up in verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Why would we deny Jesus? Because we're afraid. That's why Jesus said, don't be afraid. God gets the last word. Don't be afraid. God gets all our fear. Don't be afraid. God cares for you. So don't be afraid. That's what Jesus wants us to know. Then he says something just shocking in verse 34. And these next, these, a point three and point four will come quite quickly now. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Did Jesus just say that? A sword? He didn't come to bring peace? I mean, he's the prince of peace, according to Isaiah 9. And Isaiah 2, he's the one who's supposed to take the swords and beat them into plowshares. 
And now he's saying he's actually bringing a sword. He's the one who told Peter when he cut the guy's ear off, put your sword away. And now Jesus says, I'm bringing a sword. And don't think that I've come to bring peace. What could he possibly mean? How could he be so inconsistent with what is said about him and what he says about himself? I mean, when he was born in Luke chapter 2, the angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. But Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. So when Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace, or don't think that I've come to bring peace, he's saying, don't think I've come to bring peace the way the world thinks about peace. The only way there's going to be peace on earth is if God gets glory in the highest. Because the world says, peace is the absence of conflict. Jesus says, peace is the presence of God. And when you bring the presence of God, you either accept it, which brings peace, because you give glory to God in the highest, or you reject it, which brings a sword. And so Jesus is is being clear here about what we should expect. And then in verses 35 and 36 and 37, Jesus is going to bring it back to the topic of family. He already talked about family, turning, turning brother over or father over to be given up to death. He's going to come back to family. It's interesting. He doesn't come back to religion. He doesn't come back to politics. He comes back to the family. Why does he come back to the family? Because he knows that's where it hurts the most. If some dictator or ruler or king wants to imprison you and physically harm you and kill you because you believe in Jesus, that's one thing. If some religious leader wants to persecute you for your faith, that's another thing. But if it's someone who lives under your own roof, who is your own flesh and blood, there is pain that happens there that's more profound than any other pain. And that's why Jesus comes back to it. And he actually quotes Micah chapter 7 verse 6. In verse 35 he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now some of us live with our enemies. Now some of us are sleeping with our enemies. And we're told that we're supposed to love our enemies. And so it's quite clear how we are supposed to respond when people within our family uh, reject us or revile us for believing in Jesus. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to be kind. We're supposed to be courteous. We're supposed to go out of our way to try to serve them and love them the way that God loves us. I also want to say that we need to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I don't want to be misunderstood in what I just said about staying in, a, staying in a relationship with an enemy. Listen, if you're in an abusive relationship, you need to talk to someone about that. You need to get some counsel and some advice. And Jesus said, do not put yourself in harm's way. 
If you're persecuted in one city, flee to the next. Listen, I'm not saying that you need to uh, end your marriage or disown your family, but I'm saying you need to talk to someone and get some advice if you're in that situation right now. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I also want you to understand that faith in Jesus Christ divides people, and it can divide families. And I want to speak especially to single people right now who are hoping to uh, get married and start a family of their own. Marrying a non-Christian just simply can't be an option. I've been married for 12 years. I've, I, I love marriage. I love Lindsay. We were both married. We're both Christians. We both love Jesus. Marriage is so amazing, but marriage is such hard work. And I can't imagine how hard it is to be married. To, if, if Lindsay weren't a Christian, I don't know what I would do. Do not invite, if you marry a non-Christian, you are bringing a sword with you down the aisle. It will hurt, it will be painful. Listen, if you are already married, the Bible gives us clear instructions about how people who are married to non-Christians should be. But listen, do not walk into that. It will be a sword, it will be painful, and I want to lovingly warn you about that. Then in verse 37, Jesus says something that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, so I won't say too much about this. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. That's something we're going to talk about in a, in a, a couple of weeks when we talk about in the book of Luke where Jesus says our love for Jesus needs to be so intense that our love for everyone else needs to be considered as hate. And that's another, an, a, another thing we need to discuss as we look at this issue of discipleship. So I won't say a whole lot there other than our mission statement is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength while we're fulfilling the Great Commission. That's the first commandment is to love God with everything we have. The second commandment is to love your neighbor. Don't think for a minute that you only have so much love and if you love God with everything that you're somehow going to be neglecting your family. That's not how it works. If you love God with everything, you'll end up with more love. And the way that you love your family, who you are afraid of neglecting, you will actually love them with a love that's more pure, that's more powerful, that's, that, that's more selfless, that's more life-transforming than ever before. And so by all means, love God more than your family and know that when you love God more than your family, you're actually going to love family more than you love your family now. I've already said too much. I need some content for a couple of weeks from now. So I'll leave it at that. So that's something that we've... We look forward to covering, and then in verse 38, something that we've covered already in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus says, and whoever does not take, his, take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we uh, talked about that, that passage at length in previous weeks, but that Jesus is worth it. That there is a life beyond this life, and in order to guarantee your life beyond that life, it is worth giving your life here and now. So Jesus did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword, and we need to be prepared for that. Then in verse 40, he says, whoever receives you receives me, 
and whoever receives me, sorry, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Here's the last image. Jesus talks about a cup of cold water to teach us about reward. A cup of cold water to teach us about Reward. Now, with all of this negativity and all of this warning and preparation for the conflict that's coming and the persecution that's coming, Jesus reminds us, this isn't true for everybody. Some people are actually going to believe you. And some people are going to actually receive the good news as good news. And they're going to want to hear what you're saying. And their life is going to be changed. And that's how Jesus chooses to end. He says, whoever receives you receives me. Because when you go, Jesus goes with you. When he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves, remember, he's the shepherd. He's not leaving you alone. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the shepherd of Psalm 23. Though Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil because he's with you. And so when someone receives you, they receive him because he is the one who is with you. And then he sort of breaks it down, these three sort of categories in descending order. Someone receives a prophet, someone who speaks for God by the power of the Spirit with great clarity, they get a prophet's reward. If someone receives a righteous person, they get a righteous person's reward. If someone, if someone receives even a little one, even a, a little one, they get, they get a reward too. And what, what's the deal with, these grade eight, with this gradation, with, with, with this sort of descending level of, of importance? You see, some of us, we're, we're prophets. Some of us, we, we are able to speak God's word so boldly and faithfully and the giftedness is so evident and, and, and it's clear, oh man, that person's getting a reward. And then there's, there's just a, a righteous person, a, a person who is just living the Christian life and doing everything that they can. But then there's this third category and this is how I feel a lot and I'm sure many of us do, just feel like a little one. When Jesus is talking about a little one, he's talking about someone who is just barely holding on to their faith in Jesus Christ just trying to make sense of their world, just trying to fight against their sin and their self and all of that. But Jesus says, even if you receive a little one, you get, you get a reward. What is, he, what is he getting at here? Are there different rewards? Because when Jesus talks about reward, a lot of the time it is related to persecution. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we get rewarded. You can get a prophet's reward, a righteous person reward, or a, a reward of a little one. Do they get different rewards? Does the prophet really get to take any credit for what they prophesy or what they speak or how, or how well they share and talk about who God is? Does the prophet really get to take any credit? Did they really earn the right to be able to receive a reward? Did a righteous person who receives only righteousness from Christ, not their own righteousness, do they get something special? What about the little one who's just barely hanging on? Here's the deal. Everyone gets the same reward. That's what Jesus is getting at here. The person, even if you give a cup of cold water, even if you agree and welcome someone into your home because they believe in Jesus and you want to believe in Jesus too, that person gets a reward. 
We all get the same reward. Here's, here's why. Jesus is the reward. He who receives you receives me. The reward that you get is Jesus. And the reward that we give is Jesus. He is our reward. And we're on the sheep team and we're going up against the wolves and it seems like we're going to lose, but we win. Because Jesus has won. And he is the one who earned the reward, who deserves the reward. And he's the one who shares it with us so that we can share with others. And you may feel like no one is ever going to believe in me because I'm just a little one. You, you might feel so small, so frail, so weak in your faith. And you might think, oh, all these other people, they're better witnesses and they're more bold and all of that. Listen, you have a reward and anytime you share your faith, you are making a reward. Not a reward that a prophet deserves or that a righteous person deserves. You are giving them, you are offering them what Jesus deserves. Which is glory. Which is eternal life. Which is a, a, a relationship with God the Father. That's what we are offering. And that's what makes whatever conflict Whatever, whatever persecution we make, that makes it all worth it because Christ is our reward that we have received and that we are inviting others to receive as well. So let's bow our heads together and let's pray that God would give us courage and boldness to be witnesses even in the midst of persecution. Let's pray. And so Heavenly Father God, we thank you that you have sent your son. And God, many of us who are here today, we have received your son, which means that we receive you. And now you have sent us out so that others would receive us and receive the word that you've given us and receive the reward that you and you alone deserve, God. None of us deserve a reward, and yet you have rewarded us with the opportunity to know you, to love you, to experience eternal life. And so God, I pray that you would help us, God. Help us as sheep to go among the wolves, knowing that you are our shepherd who will fight for us. You're our shepherd who laid down your life for us, God. God, help us to believe that even simple acts like giving cups of cold water make an eternal impact. God, help us to believe and trust that you care for us every small detail of our lives, that you care for us, God. And Father, I pray that when a sword of division comes into our relationships, Lord, God, that we would trust in your peace. God, that even when there is hostility, knowing that your presence is with us, God, that that would make all the difference. So God, we pray that you would allow us to follow closely, follow behind you, follow you right into conflict, right into persecution, knowing that you are good and that you are with us and that you are our reward. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.